I thought I was having a, a pretty good morning, and then I showed up, and Alexa's like, I didn't know you were sharing today. I'm like, oh, right. I didn't remember either. But thankfully, Adam, you picked the song that just God gave me exactly what I needed to share. And the, that opening line, there was a moment where the light went out. And I've been uh, trying to hold my tears back at the back. Um, but in order for us to understand resurrection, we also have to understand moments of death. And uh, two years ago, um, I experienced that as Alexa and I were involved in a, another church community again. Um, great people. Um, and we immersed ourselves in the life in the community of this church, trying to reach the neighborhood. We moved into the neighborhood. We started a community house. We tried to do everything we could to kind of like tick the boxes, like, okay, like we're all in. And spinning our tires, spinning our tires, spinning our tires, trying to get traction with this. But again, I'm just feeling like something, something's missing, something's missing. I'm just trying to make it work. And then the pandemic came, and uh, unfortunately, our, our, our little church community just kind of disappeared. And I remember that experience was so disorienting because I'm like, man, like, I thought we were doing everything right. And then now with just this, this, this change in society, all of a sudden this community just evaporated. And I remember something just kind of broke in me there. I'm like, that's, that's the moment where the light went out. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done trying to make this work. I've been trying to do all the things. I've been trying to, uh, you know, volunteer for all the things. And it just, I just broke. And I just think of like this picture of where it's like, yeah, like the, the light in my, my heart was just smothered. And I wasn't done with Jesus, wasn't done with the faith, but I was done with church. I was done trying to make that work. Unfortunately, I was also in full-time ministry. And I had to reconcile like, well, now what do I do? Because like we don't have a church. And um, I'm, and I mean, we're trying to encourage these men and women to get in, involved in the church, but I don't even know if I believe in that anymore. And then one day, this uh, this big gentleman came through the doors at Wagner Hills, and he had tattoos on his arm, big, deep voice. And I, I thought, you know, looked like he could have rode up on a Harley. I says, hi, my name's Chad. And, uh, and Chad was actually coming to look uh, for a part-time role being a, a counselor at the farm. And we had this great conversation and just immediately, like, there was something, it was, again, it's like a, a coal that's being smothered. And then after a coal just spends a little bit of time beside another hot coal, all of a sudden, one little tip begins to, begins to heat up. And there was a little bit of a light. I'm just like, man, like, this guy is too cool to be a priest. <laughs> I don't even know what, I don't even understand, like, how he can be a priest. Again, again, I just, I wasn't part of that world. And so I just think of that picture of the light going out and without me even praying for it or asking for it, God brings somebody who can actually reignite a fire within me. And it's been two years since I met Chad. And I'm sitting at the back today just like thinking, man, like I can't believe that I can actually say that I believe in one holy Catholic apostolic church. Just in the same as I say I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I believe the church has a part in this and is an extension of the Holy Trinity and that's what we're invited into. It's not just an institution. It's not just a banner that we operate under. It, like, it is the, the thing that actually allows the power of God to move through his people. And I think about what has happened in my heart 
what has happened in my life, what's happened in my marriage, what's happened in my family, my work. And it is nothing short of a miracle because the light was out. And I'm left just kind of serving up kind of the leftovers. Like, well, I know that this is, these are the good Christian things to say. This is the things I want to encourage you in. But, like, I don't know if I believe. And now I can say I do. And I think of the resurrection power, not only that we have a risen Christ, but we have a, a risen Christ who's actually empowering the church and calling people into it and say, like, come and believe. Because it's through this that we are actually going to be, as Mark said, a light to the world. We're going to be a blessing to the world. And that's where we actually get to experience, in a practical way, the resurrection life. And so I'm praising God for that, because two years ago, I wasn't asking for it, wasn't looking for it. But by his grace, when the light went out, he brought a coal into my life and brought that back. And then all, and I, being with all of you, it's just I, more and more people. And again, even like with our conference, there's a fire being fanned into flame. And there's something sacred and precious happening here where people are being resurrected back um, to life. Amen. Just start by saying praise the Lord. He's risen. And my, my prayer is that we never fail to understand the profound nature of that truth and what it means for us. How many of you use like um, Google Maps or the like, yeah, of course, because you live in the lower mainland. So even if you know where you're going, you don't know if there's been a major accident. So you always check because, heavens, you wouldn't want to end up on the wrong side of the bridge for eight, nine to ten hours, right? A few of us have some good stories. When you go to use Google Maps, we all know how it works. You got to put two things in there for it to work. You got to put first in where you are, and then you got to put in there where you want to go. And then it tells you how to get there. And there's usually this long, winding, weaving path. Uh, today I want to just talk about that very kind of similar image or that kind of a picture for us as we think about death to life. If you could put inside of there where most of us would say, well, where am I? And you could begin to kind of fill in the, this place, this thing of death. And where do I want to be? Life. Loved that. That the, the promise of God, that the place that we long for, that we know is home, that somehow deep inside of us we know where we want to be, where we should be, where we're going, is life. Three stories. First of all is the Exodus story. Exodus chapter 14 and 15 tells an incredible part of Israel's story where leaving the land of their slavery, leaving the land of their wound, they come up to the shores of the great sea the Red Sea. And they stand there, women, children, livestock, all left in a hurry. There haven't been a lot of plans. And they get to the banks of this sea and they realize, what do we do now? And as they're trying to figure this out, they hear a commotion coming and they turn around and see in the distance that the, the master of their slavery, the one who had oppressed them, the one who had held them, the, the source of their wound, was coming in hot pursuit. It says in Exodus 14 that Pharaoh and his horses were coming. And so they're standing on the banks of the sea, and in a very real way, death is in hot pursuit. 
And they stand there and they begin to fear. It says in Exodus 14 verse 10, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. So they're standing, and we to come into the reality of this story, my prayer is it would strike us like it has Mark through this Lent season. To come to the presence of it, to think of yourself. For me to think of myself there as a man with my wife, with children, with, and to see this coming and to think we die here. Because there's nowhere to go. They're not being ridiculous. Death is a sure reality from where they stand. They didn't leave with horses and with, they couldn't even fight back. They find themselves completely defenseless in and of themselves. They begin to turn on Moses, poor guy. What did you do? You brought us out here for this? You just lined us up against the firing wall. Like, you've got to be kidding. Why don't you just leave us alone? And suddenly the place of their wound, the place of their slavery begins to feel like a better option than where they are. Ever been there? Why? Because they can see no way. But what Moses knows, and what Moses begins to connect with in that very same moment, is the heart of a God who knows how to make a way when there seems to be. So Moses raises his staff, and as he does, the impossible happens. The sea literally opens, parts wide open before this people, and they begin to walk across it, it says, on dry land. But don't miss the obvious. On either side of them as they walk is the sea that's being held back by an invisible reality. There's faith at play here. Because as they step into that place and they stand off the bank and into this space, they're literally in the place that should, they should finish them. Right? You don't, this isn't going to end well still maybe. The people go and they walk through the sea onto now the other side of the sea. So now they're standing in a very similar place to where they were before. They're on the banks of the Red Sea, but everything's different. Because they're through to the other side. They've come through what stood in their way. And if that's not enough, as death makes its way in pursuit behind them, the Lord God in His power takes it out. And the sea becomes a crushing force. And the space in between that bank and this become the place of demise for that which pursued them. Well, on this side of the banks, if you go to Exodus chapter 15, we get this incredible song of praise. Moses just lets it rip. I don't know that Moses was a musician. don't know if he wrote too many songs. So it's good news for those of you who don't count yourself in that boat. But the worship and the praise and the song of Moses, it's like it just comes up out of nowhere. He can, like Think about what he's just experienced. We were going to die. There was no way. 
And God made a way. And now we stand here and he begins to sing this song. I love that as they stand here on this bank and they wonder, what are they going to do? And they feel the fear that makes complete sense to me. Moses says to them this, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. <laughs> the sea is still there at this point. See the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. What? Imagine. Maybe it's because, you know, I'm a 46-year-old man, but I find myself especially personally in the place of like a father with his kids and his family, and the leader who's leading us all turns around and says, hey, chill out. You need only to be silent. I think there's a reality that would hit in that moment in which it's like, no, I need to do something, but even in that moment you begin to realize, but there's nothing I can do. This story then becomes one that Mark displayed so beautifully in his own personal story today, helps us to understand a second story. The one we've walked through over the past couple of days. Where after Monday, Thursday, Christ goes off into the garden and is betrayed. And we step into the weight of Good Friday. And in some ways on Good Friday, you could say we, we step up to the banks of the Red Sea. And we see the Savior of the world, God in the flesh, with death in hot pursuit. Crucify Him. Every time you think there might be an outcoming, it shuts down. Pilate. What, what, why do we want to do this? Just do it. You want Barabbas? No, Jesus. And we find ourselves on Good Friday with this incredible weight, this profound reality in which we stand in Good Friday and death is imminent. It is coming. And Jesus is beaten and flogged and mocked and laid on a cross and nails are driven in and He's raised up. Until finally, we hear these words. It is finished. And suddenly we find that we have moved somehow into the bed of the sea. Into the place of the deep. It says in our creed that he descended to the dead. And we find ourselves in this holy Saturday. still here, but really not 100% sure how it's going to end. Marked by this now and this not yet, 
marked by still impending death and doom, but somehow there's a way opening up at the same time. God's doing something. I don't know if you were able to join us last night, but as, we, as I sat in worship on Holy Saturday, I could feel this verberation. Something's coming. And then today, we step out onto this side of the bank and we celebrate resurrection. Because like we read in the Gospel today, He's not here. He's risen. We come to the place and we expect to find the death of Christ in its fullness. We, we expect to find that death has defeated that death has found us and has done what seemed inevitable. And yet here we stand on this bank, and not only have we come through into the place of resurrection, but death has been defeated. The sea has closed up. The wonder and the waiting of Holy Saturday is finished. And Christ is risen. And from that moment, everything in the, in the creation of humanity, everything in, in the grand cosmic sense of time has changed. It will never be the same. And so a third story. The story that is yours and the story that is mine today. Where I find myself standing on the banks of a sea and if I'm honest, if I'm able to, as Mark put it so eloquently today, able to be humble enough and open enough to recognize my wound, I can feel in that place death in heart, hot pursuit. And the Scriptures teach us that this is how it works. right? That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin, Paul says, is death. So all of us have stood in that place on those banks where our sin, and, and, and then there's this shame that can set in. There's fear that can set in. There's despair that can set in. And it begins to impact everything to the very core of our beings. We even begin to wrestle with who I am and whether I can properly be seen and loved and accepted. And, but, but, the, but the fear becomes that that could never be, and we can feel the weight of sin and death coming in hot pursuit. And feeling like, I've tried everything, and there's still a sea in front of me. I'm still stuck here. Good Friday, and I can't get out of it. But friends, just like in our other two stories, the good news of God is this. He's made a way. And so I love this picture, having looked at the first two stories and beginning to consider the gift and the profound nature of the sacrament of baptism. When as men and women, we are invited into the death of Christ and we go through the water
back out to the other side. Where the waters of baptism become like our Red Sea. Not just a theatrical thing we walk through. Or something that we do in our own strength to show to someone else that we're serious. But that the waters of baptism truly are a sacrament, an invisible, a visible sign of an invisible reality of a grace in which we would sum, we could sum it up this way: that God has made a way where there was no way. That I stay here and die, but that He part this sea. You know those Israelites, boy, they had a big decision to make once that sea parted. Right? I bet you there was a few people in the crowd that thought, you know what, let's just stay here and beg for mercy. Right? Let's just start spewing off our, our, our self-righteousness. Let's start, let's start trying to convince Pharaoh how good we are at making bricks. Maybe he'll take us back. I was your best bricklayer. I, I, I'm really sorry it was a moment lapse of judgment. Like, we just start to bargain. The reality of it is you can bargain with death all you want. It won't beat it. The reality of it is to think that the land of your slavery was better, you are fooling yourself. You were dying there. Every other option would have ended the same way. And yet it took some courage to in faith step out and it takes the same faith is exercised in baptism as we exercise our faith and we step into the way that God has made for us. We step into, and so through his death, we are united with him in a death like his, Romans 6 says. Most certainly, we will be united with him in a life like it. And the good news is just as good for us as it was in the first two stories. Not only have you been brought into resurrection life, but death has been defeated. Your sin completely paid for. Your shame completely unnecessary. Paul said this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friends, that is your reality if you are in Jesus. And so, a couple of invitations today. First of all, if you're not already there, if you're not already in relationship with Jesus, the invitation to you today is from this place step into the way that Jesus made for you. Part of it is we need to confess that we need it. We need to say that I am, I'm dying. <laughs> that Lord, I'm a sinner in need of saving. But honestly, that's about it. <laughs> and the only other part is an exercise of faith, which is to step into the grace of God. 
to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and to, through that space to be united with him in a death like his, that you might come into life. And so if you stand on this side in any way today, certainly if you've never been able to take that step before, we want to invite you today to consider that. As you, as you come towards the end of the service, to come and to find me, to, to, to speak with whoever you came with today and to say, I want to know more about what he's talking about. And certainly for you, but for all of us today as well, if there is anywhere, any way in your life that you feel like you are somehow back over on this side of the sea, then this Easter Sunday is really good news for you. You don't need to stay there. So if you have sin in your life that has held on and that won't seem to be, friends, it is defeated. We need only to get up and cross over. We set our baptismal font up at the back of the sanctuary and we've, uh, we, we got that in time for Willa's baptism and I'm so glad we finally got one. It stays there. The reason we left it there is because as you come in to worship each week, you are are so welcome to just stop at that baptismal font and remember your baptism. So soon as you come into worship, it becomes a beautiful gift to allow you to say, if there's any way in which I come into worship today feeling like this is where I live, no, that's where you were going to (laughs) die. The good news of Jesus is you get to stand over here. And so we get to come in and remember our baptism. So you can, even if you would like to participate, you can come in and you can touch that water and make the sign of the cross and just bind your heart to Jesus to say, I live here. And it's not because of who I am or what I've done or not done. In fact, if that was the case, I would still be over there most certainly. I stand here today in the power of of the resurrection. So thank you, Mark. Thank you, Adam, for sharing today. I wish we had all morning to just keep going. Because the power of the resurrection is not some distant historic reality. And it is not some elusive thing that none of us can grab. Each of us are experiencing it in real time every moment that we find our life in Christ. You can only stand here because of the good news of today. One of the interesting things about all three of these stories is the way that they end in worship. The exodus, they come through to the other side and they stand and Moses and Miriam begin to lead the people in uncontrolled, uh, unashamed worship. Matthew 28, the passage I read, Jesus comes to these women, women who had been deeply touched by Christ in his life, deeply impacted by his death. And now, in light of his resurrection, what do they do? Matthew 28, verse 9 and 10, they worship. They fall down at his feet, and when they finally pick themselves back up, they run and find others, and they worship. 
They begin to sing to tell of this resurrection life. And they don't just worship in quiet, in private. It's really public. It's really loud. And so my question for us today, well, it's a question. I was here already this morning. Praise God for what he's doing in our church. It is so right, and we're so thankful for you, Adam, and for the rest who led us in sung worship today. We worship. My prayer is that that would stay with you in this Easter season. That as a people who have been brought from death to life, over here in the place of life, that you would become a people of unstoppable worship. And that it wouldn't be super quiet. Super dignified, even. But that it would be a true and authentic outflow of the good news of the resurrection. The thing I love the most about that is when, from the place of life, we begin to worship, many around us will, will, will wake up to the sound and be drawn into that song. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the power of the resurrection. I declare it today, and as a church, we say we are not ashamed of the gospel. The power of God unto salvation. It is the way that God made when there seemed to be no way. Eternally grateful. And eternally, we will give you our lives. Eternally, we will give you our worship. We love you. And we thank you for our salvation. We thank you for the way resurrection life is at work in us right here, right now. We pray for our city. We pray for our nation. Come in power.